Hello and welcome to Euractive's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. I'm Julia Dam. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Paula Andres. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News Team. This week, glyphosate, the COP27 and an interview with an ex-commissioner. So hello and welcome back. And we're going to kick off today with a, I think it's fair to say, fairly controversial topic. <laughs> slightly, yeah, slightly. Slightly controversial. We love everything slightly controversial because that keeps us in a job. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what are we talking about this week? Yeah, we're talking about Glyphosate. So those of you that don't know, glyphosate is the most widely used herbicide. Um, And the reason we're talking about glyphosate is because its its approval as an active substance for plant protection is actually set to expire in mid-December 2022. Now, there's a whole story around glyphosate. We can go into the background of what's going on. Um, But essentially... Earlier this year, the European Food Safety Authority, so that's EFSA, said that it needed more time for the reassessment of the pesticides. They pushed this back to July 2023. Now, this obviously posed a pretty big problem for farmers, producers, for everyone involved um, in the use and creation of glyphosate because, of course, as I said, its approval expires in mid-December. So this just doesn't, didn't line up at all. Now, a few weeks ago, we reported that um, basically the issue was thrown to member states for a temporary extension of the EU approval. So just a one year approval, just basically to give the time to have the reassessment um, and to have a little look and, and, and see what's going on. But several member states actually blocked this temporary extension after it failed to reach a necessary majority. So there were a few different um, countries that that basically blocked this. There was Luxembourg, Malta and Croatia at the time and actually France, Germany, if I remember correctly, Julia, mm-hmm. and Slovenia also abstained from the, vote, from the vote. So this combined basically was enough to block the proceedings. Now, this got thrown again to member states this week, like ding, ding, round two. Come on, are you sure? Basically. Uh, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, please, please. The commission is, is, is basically, yeah, exactly. Please, please, please just reapprove this for one year. Make my life easier. The member states once again blocked the proposal to extend this marketing authorization of glyphosate for another year. So what does that mean? Where does that leave us? Well, all is not over for the temporary extension of glyphosate because actually the commission now actually has a, a, a legal obligation to uh, to extend the decision unilaterally. So by that, I mean without the member states input, without their, their go ahead. And so that's expected to happen. Uh, We spoke to a commission spokesperson who said this is expected to happen in mid uh, before the deadline of the mid-December deadline. And that means that this glyphosate uh, will have the reapproval for one more year. But it's proven pretty controversial because this glyphosate, as we said, uh, is is a pretty controversial subject. Um, Of course, campaign groups, green groups are not very happy to hear that the commission is going to go ahead. Um, I think they were saying, you know, they were giving a blank check to glyphosate for another year. Um, There was a lot of kind of uproar about this. Of course, we'll be following it in the next few weeks. But it's interesting that the the member states, I mean, from our perspective, it's interesting that they blocked this reapproval because it, it, it was basically a given, right? Like I said, the commission mm. has a legal right to extend this by one year um, because of food safety concerns, essentially, and food security and everything else, but but essentially on, on the grounds of food safety. And so it was always going to be reapproved, but it's a pretty political move, especially like from the likes of Germany to just be like, I don't want to be the one 
to approve this. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like they will have, I mean, they will have known that it, that the commission is just going to go ahead anyways, but right. of course it enables you to speak to your national audience and say, look, I wasn't a part of it. Uh, this was, this was Brussels doing it basically. Exactly. It wasn't us. <laughs> yeah. I suppose this is especially important for Germany because they, well, with the green, with green minister, but also there's this plan already in Germany to phase out the use of glyphosate, right? Indeed. The, the current commission, which came into office uh, almost a year ago now, wrote into their coalition agreement that they wanted to ban the use of glyphosate from the beginning of next year. So Germany's banning it anyways, and the commission has basically agreed on, yeah, being against it, to put it plainly, being against the use and approval of it. So it would have been a weird look to say this on a national level, go ahead with the ban and then vote for the reapproval uh, in Brussels. Yeah, it does seem like a slightly kind of, it could be perceived as a slightly hypocritical kind of stance, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so this means that the the commission is <laughs> going to end up being the bad guy in all of this. Um, but of course, you know, other stakeholders are are relieved by this. As I said, it was the most widely used herbicide. So farmers, of course, were getting pretty pretty concerned about this. You know, if it's actually going to run out in mid December, um, they were like and suddenly as well without any interim period, very any, sudden, any notice. Up. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so something to watch as it evolves in the next few weeks. Let's see if the commission can sort this out um, before it expires in mid-December. So let's look a bit at the week ahead. And it's actually quite an exciting week because it's the week of the Agrofish Council. So the meeting of the EU agriculture ministers. Woohoo! And um, I think it's fair to say that there's one defining topic on the agenda this time, and that's uh, fertilizers. Mm. So yeah. it's been it's been quite quite a big topic in in agricultural policy and in our coverage as well. We've been following Erective in recent weeks, Which I and this is have. actually <laughs> it's actually the first uh, meeting of the ministers since the uh, European Commission published its communication on fertilizers recently. Um, so if you want to prepare for the meeting, go check out our coverage on the communication. Mm. But essentially, that's going to be discussed by the ministers this week. Yeah, there's already some indications that there was a maybe fairly mixed reception of the communication. Um, there was the special committee on agriculture meeting this week, which happens ahead of the of the Agrifish Council meeting. Um, and basically, member states. I mean, there was yeah a fairly mixed bag. I think overall, they according to sources that were inside the room, um, they mainly kind of you know welcomed the communication. But there was a few a few issues that are a bit sticky that they're a bit worried about. Um, one is that some member states echoed the concerns of farmers, which is that the communication didn't put forward enough short-term measures, basically focused far too much on the medium and long-term measures. Um, there was also several member states that put forward some concerns about the use of state aid. So um, if you're not sure what that is, do go and check out our articles. But basically, they um, raised the limit of state aid that will be available for farmers. Now, of course, that's okay for for countries that can afford that. But there's always this risk, and this is something that we asked the commissioner about at the time, at the unveiling of the communication. There's always a kind of risk of, um, you know, uneven rollout of the state aid, which means uneven support, you know, some farmers basically getting more support than others 
because of the economic kind of strength or, or circumstances of their country. Um, and that's always kind of a concern when it comes to, to state aid and member states were talking about that in the meeting. Um, and also these taxes on, on windfall profits. I mean, several were saying this is a potentially good way to help farmers. Um, and a few others also spoke about the need to work towards a plant protein strategy at the EU level which is an old, an old thing and come, yeah. come, I almost forgot about it with all the, with everything to do with the war, but that's an old, um, an old issue that has come back around again from the member states. So that will definitely, definitely be a key topic um, in the meeting on Monday and we'll be covering that. But there's actually like a, I mean, th- technically the fertilizers thing is supposed to be a kind of sub, sub issue, right? It's actually supposed to all be about this word that we've actually been having a debate about how we say i would say algae <laughs> how yeah would you say I've, it, uh, I've gone through several pronunciations uh, for those who don't know i'm not i'm not well for those who it isn't obvious to maybe i'm not a native speaker so i was struggling quite a bit i went through algae algae <laughs> algae so yeah it's you a struggle reminded us of the the, the great gif gif debate yeah <laughs> so yeah um so tell us your opinion on Twitter and whether it should be algae or algae. Which way is the way forward? Yeah. Yeah, because there was the unveiling of the Commission's um, communication this week on creating a strong, a sustainable EU algae, algae, algae sector, <laughs> however you like to um, pronounce it. And that will also be um, a key theme this week going into the uh, Agriculture Minister's meeting. So this communication um, is designed to unlock the potential of algae in the EU, and it proposes 23 actions to create opportunities for the industry to help it grow into a robust, sustainable and regenerative sector capable of meeting the growing EU demand. Um, So actually, the EU is one of the biggest importers of seaweed products globally. Did you know that? I didn't know. There you go. And the demand is expected to reach 9 billion euros in 2030. Um, in food, cosmetics, pharmaceuticals, and energy production. So it's a pretty um, jack of all trades and uh, seaweed. Yeah. Actually, I used seaweed a few times. It's actually got a lot of really interesting applications for agriculture, um, like uh, talking about using it as a supplement animal feed. Um, it's full of micronutrients. So we used it actually as a, for the soil. Um, I was looking at soil enhancer um, when I was working on a farm uh, in Greece. Do you know we're circling back around to the fertilizers part? Like, uh... I also, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Alga is used as a kind of a bio, or I think you call it a biostimulant or a biofertilizer. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's chock full of all this kind of these interesting micronutrients that are, when we talk about fertilizers and plants, we talk about mainly the macronutrients, you know, MPK. But there's loads of micronutrients that the se- that seaweed and algae have that is also really, really crucial for the healthy growth of plants. Um so there's tons of different applications. I mean, of course, when you're talking about algae, you know, we talk a lot about the kind of the blue by the blue economy, the blue blue carbon storage of carbon. Um, but it does have a, kind of a big, uh, quite a big impact on the agri sector, and of course for human consumption. Didn't mention that one. Thought it was quite. Yeah. No, I have to say I quite like it uh, for I human consumption it. as well. So uh, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to to eat more algae, you algae in the future. And this week, we continue with our series of uh, interview with uh, agriculture commissioners. So we're here today with uh, former agriculture commissioner, uh, Phil Hogan. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. 
So, Mr. Hogan, in, in Brussels, the current uh, cap reform is still labeled uh, or we're still referring to as the Hogan reform uh, because you were actually the initiator of this uh, uh, important uh, piece of legislation. Uh, so I just want to know uh, a bit more about your take on the final uh, um, compromise, if you think that uh, uh, it was a good deal. Well, I see this as a, as a reform that I initiated, uh, for sure, in, the, in, in bringing about uh, the proposal for the cap reform. But, of course, my, my colleague and good friend, uh, Commissioner Wachikoski, uh, completed the job over the last couple of years in conjunction with the European Council and the European Parliament. And the purpose of the reforms was to, first of all, in the traditional way, to ensure that food uh, security was not just an issue of importance to the European Union, but... Uh, an important issue in terms of our policy orientation towards the rest of the world. Secondly, there was a greater emphasis to be put on sustainability and nutrition when it came to uh, agricultural products. Thirdly, there was a, we had to identify how farmers, or indeed there is no other group of people that we can uh, point to or rely, on, or rely upon in rural areas for to contribute uh, to the European objectives in relation to agriculture and to the European Green Deal. And they have to be compensated for doing so by a, a good budget. And uh, the other objectives were about bringing more young farmers into the agricultural area and, and developing greater incentives there. And all of this was to be done at a time when we could have, a, you know, give a greater say to the member state and to the farm organisations in each member state to come up with the options that they would uh, feel uh, comfortable with. Uh, in their region or in their member state to implement the principles and policies of the European-wide agricultural policy. And uh, and finally, uh, one of the big uh, issues for me was to ensure that we had jobs in rural areas so that we could have processing, we could have export opportunities uh, and many jobs created in rural areas because for every one billion euro of exports of agricultural food and drink products, it created about 14,000 jobs in our rural areas. So this was important as well for the viability and vibrancy of the rural areas going forward. And considering what you just mentioned, particularly the um, young farmers' involvement, but also uh, new, uh, creating new jobs in rural areas, do you think that the situation or the deal uh, has improved the, your proposal? Well, no, I think that the, the proposal as, adapt, as adopted finally definitely em emphasised all of the objectives that mm -hmm. I've just outlined. Uh, we have had a, a rejuvenation in relation mm -hmm. to the interest of member states in trade. Uh, and we now are seeing that we can complete some trade agreements that were negotiated in the past, but also look at new ones so that, uh, so that European farmers have an, an outlet and a market uh, prospects for these areas. If we don't, like European Union farmers have a comparative advantage in, in, in producing food. So uh, this is not the same everywhere in every region in the world, and particularly in our neighbor, neighboring continent of Africa. We are encouraging our African farmers to produce more food, more nutritious food, but there's a lack of coordination there between the international organizations and the European Union in order to achieve more in this, in this area. And therefore, the European Union farmers then must compensate in the short term for providing the food that's necessary in order to ensure that we don't have a very major problem like famine uh, in the context of the war in Ukraine. And last time we we spoke, uh, it was under the Finnish presidency uh, some, some, uh, a few years ago, um, we discussed about the 
renationalization uh, as one of the highest risk of uh, the uh, common agricultural policy. Um, do you think that there might still be uh, such a risk after the first um, common agricultural policy uh, strategic plan uh, being approved? No, uh, this is this is a, I don't I don't agree with this assertion whatsoever. Over the years, we have always given member states latitude in terms of picking options about implementation of the policy. Mm-hmm. Not every region can be the same, in term, no. or not every member state of the European Union can be the same in terms of the emphasis on particular products or how they will implement. So we have European-wide principles associated with greater sustainability, greater nutrition, greater uh, digitalization of agriculture in order to reduce Uh, you know, inputs and therefore reduce costs to farmers. I had the occasion of being in Spain in recent times, in recent weeks, uh, with, with Vodafone, who are actually uh, implementing uh, precision agriculture in various pilot areas around the European Union. And in Spain, they were showing farmers how a good pers- uh, adaptation to digital agriculture can save money for the farmer, but also can be good for the environment. And it's, it centers around improvements in soil, And uh, we have to get to grips with improving our soil productivity so that our farmers and our environment working closely together can both benefit. And uh, there was also an, um, a, a movement of opinion uh, at the beginning of the, um, the mandate of uh, you know, the, the, the von der Leyen Commission to withdraw uh, the common agricultural policy uh, proposal. And in the end, the Commission decided to, to keep it. Uh, was it a good choice, according to you? This was just one or two commissioners expressing the view that we should withdraw the commission proposal. It was never a serious Mm -hmm. intention by the commission to withdraw this proposal at all. Mm -hmm. We had made a lot of progress in the previous mandate of the Juncker Commission, where the Agricultural Committee of the European Parliament and the European Council had agreed. Uh, you know, the, the, they had reached agreement in terms of the, the terms of reference between them uh, in order to advance to the trilogues. And uh, Commissioner Vajikashki and his team uh, completed the job, uh, you know, in, in 2021, uh, 2022. And I think that they have done a good job in terms of meeting the expectations of the original proposal, but also ensuring that, you know, that, that we have a practical delivery in many areas. Now, of course, There is always the difficulty when you actually, uh, you know, are implementing something new that there is going to be more bureaucracy attached to it. And I'm quite concerned that member states and the European Commission need to work closely on the COP strategic plans to ensure that we simplify the policy as much as possible for the farmer. And uh, I, I, and also particularly in relation to the eco schemes and that we don't have an unnecessary amount of bureaucracy uh, attached to these important schemes, which is going to be good for the farmer and good for the environment. And a final take on uh, uh, the recent um, uh, the recent role uh, increased role that agriculture is having also when it comes to the uh, global food security. Uh, I just want to know from you. Let's do like a um, let's wandering down the the memory lane. Uh, if you have some experiences in terms of uh, difficulties as agriculture commissioner that you you've suffered or that you uh, actually uh, overcome. I'm quite concerned at the developments at the moment in agricultural production in the context of the war in Ukraine. Mm. We, you know, we have we have learned from our history in the European agriculture that after the Second World War, there was parts of our continent, you know, Belgium and the Netherlands mm-hmm. and parts of Germany, where we had starving people in Europe. Many of our young people today probably don't realize that. 
So the common agricultural policy grew out of our historic experience in relation to the need to provide food for the citizens of Europe. We have, according to recent estimates now, in recent times, one-fifth of our EU citizens are potentially food insecure. That's a very worrying development. And I think that our policymakers uh, need to take a good hard look at the policies we are being implemented to ensure that we have sufficient food for the people of Europe, but also that European farmers are able to produce the necessary food for our neighbours, particularly in Africa, and where there's potential famine. Uh, in many countries in, in Africa at the moment. So these are all worrying trends, and we have to treat these issues like an emergency, like the mm -hmm. pandemic, uh, or like the war, uh, in order to stave off huge uh, problems for these people in, in, in the various countries in our neighbourhood, and to ensure that our fellow man is, is actually protected from uh, starvation and famine. Thank you, Mr. Rogan. Thank you for your time and for your interesting takes. Stakes were high for the first ever agriculture and food pavilion at the Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or also known as COP27. According to the UN, food systems account for over a third of global emissions, and agriculture is especially vulnerable to climate-related shocks. But many consider food systems and agriculture to remain more of a sideshow. Campaigners and organizations warned that the discussions lacked farmers' voices and that the initiatives were largely made up of agri-industry interests. On the D-Day, or the Agri-Day, that was on Saturday, 12 November, funding initiatives and big players held onto the spotlight. Initiatives such as the Aim for Climate, led by the United States and the United Arab Emirates, and the FAST initiative, led by the Food and Agriculture Organization, were high on the agenda. This claim to help agri-food systems adapt to climate change and become more sustainable through innovation. Others fear massive investment in tech fixes to climate effects are not the solution to the crisis. Let's dive into this and other key issues around food and agriculture at COP with experts on the ground. CGIAR, a global research partnership focusing on food security, co-hosted the first ever food and agriculture pavilion at a COP. Ali Abusaba, the regional director at the organization, sees a future in agri-food discussions at the next year COP. COP27 enabled a first meaningful conversation on agriculture, food, land and water system transformation, with a high visibility and attention. Uh, the focus on implementation is critical, and we very much look forward to see a mechanism in place to monitor and support countries in building climate-resilient agriculture and food systems, as well as uh, an increase in global financing, particularly to scale up climate-smart agricultural solutions. CJIR has worked with the Egyptian presidency on the knowledge and innovation front, and we will continue towards COP28, working with the UAE, which has similar interests in seeing adaptation, agriculture, and the nexus with water and energy high on the agenda. Climate scientists have found that as the planet warms, the risk of crop failures in breadbasket regions grows. Poorer countries will face the most severe consequences from it, such as higher food prices and increased risk of famine. However, agriculture is nowhere to be found in the summit's draft cover text. Miriam Villay, IPES food panel expert and coordinator of the Alliance for Food Sovereignty in Africa, shared his thoughts on this. This COP has uh, delivered very little. There was a lot of expectation that uh, 
agroecology will be included as a best methodology in the text of the Coronavia, but that didn't happen. One thing that we can say is uh, there's an agreement on the loss and damage. Uh, probably that would bring more money to poorer countries in the future. The fact that uh, agriculture is not included is very much disappointing for poor countries. Um, between 50 uh, to 80% of Africans uh, depend on agriculture. I think the average for most African countries is 70. And the fact that uh, the way of life of people, as well as uh, the base of the economy of so many countries, is not included in the final text is, is hugely, hugely disappointing. Other food and farming organizations warned about the lack of involvement of small-scale farmers, who are critical for the global food system. Laura Lorenzo, director of World Rural Forum, representing 35 million family farmers, told us how this affected the outcomes of the summit. We are deeply concerned by the fact that family farmers' organizations, especially the ones that represent small-scale farmers, have not been engaged in climate negotiations both at national and at global level, and we are not accessing to climate finance mechanisms. And that is the reason that we do not expect too much commitment in terms of these actual negotiations. Also, we are thinking that we are making the issue more visible and we expect some more attention to the flow of the climate finance in the coming years. We see this as a process. Family farmers organizations with, and I do think we have the right, to participate in the discussions. But for that, we need to enhance our capacity throughout ne the next year together with some key partners. The previous COP26 announced a global methane pledge to cut emissions at least 30% by 2030. With the agricultural sector being one of the world's main contributors of methane, we asked Shefali Sharma, European Director at the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy, where is the EU at on cutting livestock emissions? Now, the EU is one of the highest uh, agricultural methane emitters. It's 53% of um, uh, its emi methane emissions come from agriculture. Um, but the methane pledge, its methane pledge is conspicuously um, missing agriculture in its pledge. So that's one big problem. Um, though it is a big agricultural emitter, it uh, focuses on on oil and gas primarily. And um, the existing EU rules are also doing no favors in terms of really trying to get um, methane under control, particularly livestock methane. And by existing rules, I mean rules for agriculture, whether it's in the emissions sharing uh, directive, uh, ESR, or uh, the CAP where you know the country's um, cap strategic plans most countries don't really address methane from livestock the eu is going to miss its 30 percent target if it actually doesn't uh, include agriculture methane and in particular livestock methane in its uh, commitments Another global initiative, the Global Fertilizer Challenge, led by the U.S., announced it had raised $135 million to promote a more efficient use of chemical fertilizers. At the same time, the EU released its fertilizer plan, encouraging the use of fertilizers and boosting financial support. 
I asked Sophia Murphy, Executive Director at the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, whether this aligns with the world's climate ambitions. To actually align with the world's climate ambition, we need whole systems change. We also need to be reducing and eventually eliminating our dependence on fossil fuel technology for our food and agriculture systems. We have alternatives to nitrogen fertilizer and we should be using those more, but we should also be thinking about what we grow and how to build systems that produce food without relying on such intensive addition of nutrients into the soil. We grow a lot of fuel, we grow a lot of animal feed. Those crops require a lot of synthetic fertilizer. If we were to look at the system as a whole and change what we were asking it to grow, diversifying and reducing our dependence, we would also be taking a much bigger step forward in aligning with the climate goals that the world has set for itself. So that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Euractiv's AgriFood news team, Natasha Foot, Gerardo Fortuna, Paula Andres, and Julia Dam, with the technical support of Abby Kiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our AgriFood brief if you want all the latest news from the EU. I'm Natasha Foot. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.